Welcome back to Are You For Real with Sarah Frick. Today we are sitting down with a friend of mine, Jackie McKelvey, and we are going to be talking about, um, I would say, an intimate personal um, disease. Um, we're going to be talking about disordered eating, and I'm going to let Jackie really share her story. Many of you know Jackie from her being the freaking boss bitch on a cycle bike, and she is everyone's biggest cheerleader. She is a beautiful woman inside and out, and I'm so... Um, honored that you came to want to share your story with me. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll jump right in. Yeah. Um, well, you kind of introduced me as a spin instructor, which is my ultimate passion in life, but do have a full-time job in the medical device field. Um, and I've been doing that for three and a half years. So half my time is corporate and well, I would say the majority of my time is corporate. And then my true therapy in life, what keeps my head screwed on in all the right places is showing up at the work cycle and getting to teach right now nine people in a room and soon to be 40 people in a room. Yes. So that's me in a nutshell from New Jersey, and I'll talk a little bit about that um, when I take a blast down memory lane back <laughs> in the, uh, the Jersey Shore fist-pumping days. Um, Wait, were you on that show? No. Oh, I could see you, not being like a character on that show, but like I could see you're <laughs> like, and I say this with respect, Jackie's absolutely stunning. Like she has the most beautiful blue eyes. Like she's a, a babe. I'm sure that I could see them being like, hey, do you want to be on the show? Oh, no. They, I mean, at the time, I think I was watching it. I was in high school and they were in their, their 20s or I don't know. Yeah, okay, relax. Okay, yeah, we were like, like the on. same age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so no, it was not on Jersey Shore. Let's get that abundantly clear. Yes. was not on that show. Yes. Yep. So Jackie um, texted me a few weeks ago mm -hmm. and said, would you like to talk about something very real on your podcast? And I said, sign me up. Absolutely. Yep. And she told me that she had um, been bulimic. Mm -hmm. for um, many years and wanted to come on and share her story and uh, hopes to, I think, share the story, which is therapeutic in itself, but also to take some of the shame off the table for other people that are experiencing any sort of uh, disorder or an addiction. Totally. And I, I texted you, I feel like I'm about to exhale for the first time in 10 plus years. Um, and that night I texted you, I was at Max One with my best friend and we were tequilas deep. And she's the only person I've truly ever told the intimate details of my bulimia. Mm. People in general, you know, people that I've taught before or just have grown closer with, I have told them some, you know, prelude into just having disordered eating, but I've never told intimate details about it before. So I'm sitting there at, at the bar with her and I'm just like, I need to tell the world the story. Like I'm ready to yeah. go. There's no shame with this. I want to help anyone who may be suffering with this. It's an incredibly isolating disease and it breaks my heart to feel like they may be trapped the way that I was trapped for so long. And I want them to know that there, there is a way out of this. And I, everything you just said, I have total chills because I think this touches everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, my very, very, very best friend who I lived with from the time I was, I think I was 17 until the time I was 23. She was bulimic as well. Yeah. And it was, it was so hard for her and she now has children and has recovered, but I know it's still something that there's always triggers, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so before we get started, just for our audience that's listening, can you for those people maybe that don't know what bulimia is. Mm -hmm. Totally. So bulimia is a very um, serious, potentially life-threatening mental health disorder that's characterized by eating a lot, a lot of food, typically foods that are deemed unhealthy or high caloric value um, in a short amount of time. And then in order to avoid weight gain, you purge it in a form of either um, vomiting or laxatives. Mm -hmm. And mine was, was vomiting. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I know people with disorder eating, it presents itself in so many different ways, whether that's it's excessive exercise, it's laxatives, mm-hmm. it's, it's not eating at all or, or excessive calorie counting. But mine was, um, it started off at least as a very chronic bulimia in the form of, of vomiting. Mm-hmm. And I think this is such, you know, a, a lot of our listeners are in um, health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And there's, I always say there's such a thin line, you know, it's between, you know, doing it for, I don't want to say the right reasons, but doing it for the reasons for like the well-being mm-hmm. of yourself, like right? mm-hmm. taking care of yourself, exercising, eating properly to the, versus the detriment of like mentally, right. you know, hurting yourself. Yeah. I, um, you know, and before we do dive into this, I just want anyone who's listening near or far that um, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. This is truly for me to just share my experience and my experience only um, in hopes to really make a, a positive impact on people that may be suffering from the same thing. And um, first and foremost, I'm doing it for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Because I have never, ever expose myself in this, in this way. But if I weren't a spin instructor at uh, the the works and get to really speak my truths in that kind of audience on a mic, I wouldn't have the courage to do this. So again, like shameless plug to the work cycle, but like uh, the, you know, spin really did save my life and give me the, the courage to be up on a platform like this and do it. Well, I'm already Um, crying. So, uh, and I am, so um, I'm going to count down the minutes until I start crying. Sarah already got me this lovely toilet paper to my right. I don't like tissues. (laughs) Yeah. So Um, why don't we just start at the beginning? This Mm -hmm. is, this is, I want you to tell your story. Okay. It's a long story. Um, buckle up. Um, and this is uh, what people are about to hear, uh, especially my loved ones. Um, it's going to be very shocking. And you'll hear stories that you just don't, you can't even fathom that someone would, would be inclined to do this. Inclined is the, not the right word because I never wanted to do this. Yeah. Um, I was 11 years old and uh, that at the time was, I was in sixth grade and I went to school in New Jersey and I was very athletic and I was a little nerdy kind of nobody and, you know, loved my life. I was happy with who I was and I was in the locker room because um, in, in elementary school you get access to the girls' locker room when you're in sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. So in sixth grade, you look up to the eighth graders like they're God's gift to earth. Like they are your Beyonce equivalent. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, they're so popular. They're fun. And all the boys are chasing after them. So there was this one girl... Um, that I looked up to, like she, I I had such a girl crush on and I was changing and she just walks out of the blue and she walks up to me and she just grabs my hips and she's like, are you, are you a picky eater? Like you are so skinny. I'm so jealous. So it just took that one question, that one quote to literally change the trajectory of my life, Mm -hmm. the way that I viewed myself in the mirror. So here's this person I looked up to that I think is so, so awesome, so cool, so popular and pretty and, and you know, everyone wants to be friends with them. Being envious of me, like nobody, little Jackie, who only cares about sports in her life, she's envious of me because I'm thin. Mm -hmm. That was just like this shell shock to me because I never, I, from that moment on, I never looked at myself in the mirror the same way again. I was like, oh, I guess in order to be who she is or someone that she's going to like or someone I can grow up to be, I need to be skinny. Mm -hmm. So that was that. Mm-hmm. And I think it is wild. And I want to touch on the fact that the fact that I remember that conversation at a ripe age of 11 years old in sixth grade speaks volumes, that I remember the moment that that happened and how that changed my life. So I think it was around the same time frame. I was um, at CVS with my one of my childhood best friends and her mom. 
And we're walking past an aisle with all the Cosmopolitan magazines, with like the supermodels and the bikinis out. And my friend at the time made a comment. My mom says that when their hip bones pop out, that means they're anorexic. And of course, like that is so wildly untrue, but it was just the young impressionable, right. you know, ig- ignorance of that, you know, that young mind. So here I am again, looking at these beautiful supermodels on the Cosmopolitan magazine saying that if you want to be on the cover and you want to be this like sought after icon in the world, like you've got to have an eating disorder. You've got to be skinny. Mm-hmm. So, and wait, you said you were 11? I was 11. Yes. And so, you knew what anorexia was? I, I didn't. Okay. No, but I knew it was a bad thing. Okay. So that is kind of my segue into this, this next part maybe it was a couple days or weeks later I was in the car with my mom and I asked my mom what's what's the difference between anorexia and bulimia so I'd done a little bit of my research but I was a little bit confused by it and my mom answered very vaguely but ultimately was like why the hell is my 11 year old daughter asking me the difference between anorexia and bulimia right and I think that I just kind of you know blamed it on like, oh, I had a school project that I had to do. Um, but I think from that moment, my mom kind of had her mama senses on, right. like on full alert. Um, and she was keeping a, a weather eye out for me and, and my health from that moment on. I think she saw right through it. Um, so then it was 4th of July. Uh, I was the same age. Um, it's, you know, it's summertime. And I was at a family event with my parents and all of their best friends. And since it was 4th of July, there was tons of barbecue around. There was mac and cheese, all those bad foods, right, Mm -hmm. that like we once in a while indulge in. So I'm just eating this food and I'm eating way too much of it. And the moment I'm done eating, I'm so full, I can't, like I have to unbutton my pants. And I just go into this full-blown panic, shame. No one's going to like me if I gain weight. I'm like absolutely beside myself of shame. Yeah. And my mind is just circulating with everything that had just happened the previous couple months, like having anorexia and bulimia introduced into my life and all these, you know, role models of mine being jealous of me because I'm skinny. And so I just, I just say the moment I get home, I need to throw this up. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. I went upstairs into my bathroom and for whatever godforsaken reason, I throw up in my sink. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not laughing. <laughs> no, I know. Like, I'm not trying to be facetious, but right. I throw up in my sink. Clearly, that is problematic, right? It's going to clog. So I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Can I curse on this thing? Yeah, fuck like, yes. holy fuck. <laughs> holy fuck. My mom is going to find out. I'm absolutely panicking. Um, I can't undrain this myself. I need Drano. I need my dad. So I go downstairs. There's nothing I can do. And I'm literally trying to, like, scoot this shit out. Yeah. In the toilet. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I go up to my mom and I'm like, mom, oh my God, I ate too much. I felt so sick. I just threw up and I threw up. Like, I need your help. My mom walks into the, in the bathroom. She's like, what is going on? Like you threw up in the sink? Right. And it was a lot. Right. Again, mama alert on. Yep. She knows. Yep. She was silent. I remember verbatim. Like she was silent, a little cold because you could tell on the inside she was in a sheer panic. Like, what oh, is my daughter? Like, I have chills, yeah. as a, especially as a mother. I'm mm-hmm. just thinking, yes. Absolutely. Um, so I knew from that moment on that I, I needed to be careful if I was going to continue this thing, which I wanted to because I can't even tell you the, like, I want to be careful about using the word, like, um, euphoria. It was more of, like, a, just a relief. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I can eat all these foods that make me temporarily feel good. Right. And then I can go purge, purge it up, and then I'm right back to normal. Right. Not knowing the long-lasting effects it can have on your mental health and your physical health as right. well. So I had to be extremely meticulous, careful about how I was going to continue this disorder. 
Um, and I will say at the time it was definitely an experimental phase. I really truly had no idea what I was getting myself into. And, and I think what you just said is so poignant because I feel like people that I've talked to or interviewed or even just friends, they all say, you know, I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be an alcoholic. Exactly. I didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be a heroin addict. Exactly. Right. And, exactly. and, and that is what you said. It's like, you knew what you were doing was not that it wasn't accepted by your family mm-hmm. and it, and it was something you had to hide. Correct. And in your mind, you still said, I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Because yeah. in, in my mind, um, in that age, there was nothing more important than being liked mm-hmm. and being the popular person, people, you know, envying you and living up to this pedestal of perfection and yada, yada. Right. So the way it proceeded was I knew I had to do my absolute best to hide it from my mom. And that presented itself uh, with multiple showers per day because, mind you, it was summertime. So my parents were, were home all the time. Um, not all the time, but they were home a lot. And so it was sometimes three times a day that I would take a shower. I would eat whatever I wanted to the point that I got sick to my stomach. And again, I'm 11 years old. Like, this is mm-hmm. sickening to even, like, you yeah. know, admit and say it loud. Eat whatever I want and feel good temporarily. And then I'd go upstairs and turn on my shower and I would grab a garbage bag, um, like a little trash can mm-hmm. bag. And I would get on my hands and knees in the in the shower with the water running over me. So that it was loud and I would turn on the fan too. So it was extra loud. And I would just throw up in this trash bag mm-hmm. with the back of my toothbrush. Mm-hmm. And um, I would do that multiple times a day if I had to. Um, so it was very sad, sad, Did lonely. you, even at this, so this at 11, you know, like mentally where you are now isn't the same, right? Because your brain wasn't, did you Correct. feel sad when you were doing it? Like, no. did you wake, like, I'm just talking to people who are like, you know, the next day after mm-hmm. say they did drugs or whatever, mm-hmm. they're like, they wake up, all right, I'm not going to do it today. Correct. And then five o'clock hits. No. At 11 years old now. No, you didn't. That wasn't, Mm-mm. that hadn't started yet. It hadn't started yet. Right. Got and it. I will, I will, um, explain that the the break, the major break that I took from it and seven years later when I finally realized that this is so wrong and Mm -hmm. it is a true mental health illness. Um, But at 11 years old, no, I only cared about just maintaining my thinness and I didn't care how I was going to do it. But no, I never felt like that guilt. The only thing that I felt guilty about was hiding something from my mom and my parents. So... That continued for quite some time, and then when I would get out of the shower, it was absolutely repulsive and disgusting. But you would take—I would take the trash bag and mm. I would dump it into the toilet, and then I would do my best to wash out the trash bag and tie it into a tiny ball mm-hmm. and hide it underneath all the other trash in the, right. in the trash can. Um, so that went on for a little while. And my my mom, I I knew that she knew something was up um, based off everything that happened the previous you know months or weeks, whatever it was. And eventually she beat it out of me um, in a loving way, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she didn't beat it out right, of me. Right. She was persistent, um, asking me, what is going on? I know something's happening in that bathroom. Um, I keep on finding you know, remains of food in the drain. I am seeing throw-up splatters on the toilet. Um, and I still denied it forever, like for I would say even like a a month after that and I would still continue it and I was locking the door so she couldn't just walk in Mm -hmm. and find me um but eventually she was so persistent I was getting so angry and so defensive I was just like god damn it yes 
Yeah. I've been doing this. I have. And that was incredibly hard to admit. And I was just, I like hated my mom because of it. I was too young to realize that she loves me. She's not trying to be nagging and be hard on me. She was just like, I love you. You are my only daughter. I need you to get help. Um, So that's what we did. She dragged me to to a therapist and just only took one session. And I sat there in silence the whole time. He asked me what method I was using to to vomit, to binge and purge. And I told him all that. um, But I just, it was in one ear out the next. I was so pissed at my mom Mm -hmm. for doing that to me and embarrassed. I couldn't look at anyone in that room. So I left that therapy session and I said, I'm done. I'm not doing it again. Because at that time, it truly was an experimental phase. Right. Um, I didn't feel any remorse from it. I just said, oh, why didn't you just let me do this, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I stopped. I feel like this is so such good information because I was talking to a woman the other day who was with a friend of ours who also has a daughter. And one of the stories you told, she ate something and then panicked. Yeah. And I think that it, people don't realize how young these things start. 11 years old. Yeah. That's very, that's a very hard pill to swallow. Yeah. That I have been battling this since 11 years old. Yeah. Um, so I was okay for the next seven years and that's great. High school was the time of my life. I, I tell all my friends, like I would, I would want high school over college any day. Yeah. I loved high school. I was happy. I didn't having, have an eating disorder. I was, um, very athletic um, playing sports all the time. So my, I had a fast metabolism. I was smart and a popular girl, very kind to, to people. I was very well liked and had a lot of boys, mm-hmm. right? So I was happy. Like You still got a lot of boys, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I just was, I was very happy. I had no, I had no qualms about my life at all. Um, I didn't feel alone. I had really wonderful people in my life. So high school was, was great. I look back on that and I wish I could get that time back. And it wasn't until all of my friends went off to college. I did not go to, um, I went to community college. So yes, I did go to college, but I stayed living with my parents um, for two years at a local community college. So I just commuted there every single day. Um, The reason I did that is because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I really didn't have a true um, passion to kind of, you know, seek. Um, so I just said, let's not be in enormous debt for the rest of my life. Let's right. go to community college, save a lot of money and work on top of it and live with my parents. Um, if I had realized how lonely and isolating that time would have been, I probably wouldn't have made the decision and would have just signed up to pay student loans for the rest of my life, right. to be honest. Um, because all my friends, my best friends went off to college and things just changed. You know, I wasn't their life anymore. Um, they were going off and partying and making new friends. And I was just in here, chopped liver, being miserable, commuting to this community college every year that I didn't like. I didn't like my classes. It was an associate's degree. So it was all just like very generic, mm-hmm. just kind of boring classes. And when I would leave um, the community college, I would go straight to my job, which was a, you know, minimum wage managing a pizza parlor. And I just was miserable with my life. Yeah. Like I was gaining weight because I was on, I was just not happy um, and very lonely. And um, I think that's when things really started because I just, I didn't, I wasn't me anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't have my, my life. I didn't have that thrill um, of what I had in, in, in high school. So because I was living at home, um, my parents were working 
you know, every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was in October. It was around Halloween time. I vividly remember that. So they weren't home because um, they were, you know, working full time as well. But I had my days off from college and also my days off from 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 work. So I remember I was so bored one day, so freaking bored. And I just didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't, you know, I hadn't picked up fitness that time in my life. I didn't have any friends. I was just sitting there twiddling my thumbs. Had no idea what to do. So I said, I'm going to bake something. Why not? It's about to be Halloween. I'll make something for the family. So I remember baking something. I don't even know what it was, but it was not good for you. Like sugar, butter, cream, all this kind of stuff. Right. And I was just in emotional distress at that time. And I just start eating, 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 eating until I was, I ate the entire thing. And I was so uncomfortably full. And it was just, again, the same 11 year old Jackie. Oh my God, shame. Why the hell did I just do this to myself? Like, what, there's got to be another reason why I'm doing this. Like, and I didn't realize at the time I was just so lonely and unhappy with myself and right. my life. Um, and it was almost in that instant that the conversation finally shifted in my mind back to the 11 year old Jackie that says, You can just throw this up. Mm. And from that moment on, I was bulimic for nine years. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it just took one instance, one shift of conversation in my, in my head um, because I just wasn't in a good place in my life that I was seeking control again. Mm-hmm. So it was me eating food that was making me feel good. And I didn't feel good any other times, right? I was indulging in this food that, that really just made me feel comfortable and satisfied until you take it too far and eat too much. And now you're like, holy shit, that was like probably 10,000 calories I just yeah. consumed and I'm sick to my stomach. Um, so let's, you know, eat these foods for temporary happiness and joy. Um, and then you eat yourself sick right? and then you purge to get out of your system. And then there's that relief. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling myself here, here's temporary happiness. And then you don't have to deal with the, the consequences of weight gain. You can just throw it up. Right. And when you throw it up, again, you have that feeling of, of relief. Right. At the time I was not remorseful of it because I was like, I'm not going to do it again. I thought it was a one and done thing. Um, but that's when the, the mental illness really happened. And so then, so what, so walk us through those nine years. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, because so you're still in Jersey at this point. Yeah. Right? So still in Jersey. Yep. Um, I was still miserable for those two years at community college. I was working at the pizza place and of course I was surrounded by pizza and garlic knots and all these good, amazing things. Um, so I would wait until the hour before I was off my shift to just binge like pizza and, um, everything. I mean, I can't even tell you how many calories I was consuming, consuming within one hour. Um, and my excuse is that I would go home and I would have to shower because I have reek of a pizza place, right? right? So I would go home and I would throw it all up. So that was two years working at the pizza place. Um, and I was... Was this every day? Mm-hmm. You were throwing up every day? Yep. Every single day. Um, so that's when it was the worst, when I was so unhappy with my life. Um, and so two years went by, I started looking into transferring colleges and I wanted so desperately to get out of my life in New Jersey. Not because I didn't love my parents or because I love my hometown. I'm very fortunate for where I grew up. No, it's not the Jersey Shore fist pumping like, (laughs) you know, seaside. It was a beautiful, um, quaint little surf beach town that people go to vacation at. So I was very fortunate to live where I lived, but I just wanted to get away from that life that I had Mm -hmm. while the rest of my friends were out doing their thing. 
So I looked into multiple colleges um, and I found College of Charleston just across the board. It was always something that was popping up when I was looking in for atmosphere and um, academics and nightlife, of course, um, you know, young, beautiful people, good weather right. all year around, minus the nasty humidity that we're about to get yeah. here soon. <laughs> Um, and so I kind of went on a whim and I just, um, applied for college of Charleston cause I thought it was like too good to be true. Right. Like seeing all these pictures, it's gorgeous, rainbow row and beautiful weather all the time. And just said every Google search is just, it just looks like it's a, a utopia. So I get into college here and I go to visit it for, visit it for like two to three days with my, with my parents. And did I fell you have in love any, with it. Did you have any friends here that you no. knew? Nope. I knew of a couple people, but they were not like friends. They right, were right. just like, I know a friend of a friend who goes there. And if I were desperate enough, I'd reach out to them. Right. <laughs> um, so no, I did not know anyone here. I knew that I just needed to start fresh. And in order for me to be the strong, independent woman that I always wanted to be, I could not just be living with my parents and staying in New Jersey. Um, I wanted to discover the the true form of happiness that I knew I could, mm-hmm. I could eventually get. So I moved to um, College of Charleston and it was really difficult for me because I was a junior, I was a transfer student. So you kind of skip over the whole fun college years, right? right? You are a freshman and you're paired up with someone in your dorm and then you you typically meet friends that last you for the four years. I didn't have that. I had no friends. I was scared shitless out of my Were you mind. Were living on campus? No. They don't, they don't really help you. Um, and I, I I'm not saying this as like a, a dig against called to Charleston, but I think most colleges, they help you with student living, student housing, freshman and sophomore year, but you're on your own when it comes to junior year. Got it. So I found a random house off of Craigslist and did my you know due diligence looking into the girls that were living there and needed this extra roommate. Um, so it was complete dump. And <laughs> I'm sure one of them are listening to this right now. Yes, we can attest it was a complete dump. Um, I lived in a, <laughs> I lived in a tiny little closet. It was from the 1700s. And so I lived in a kitchen pantry. That was <laughs> transformed into a realm. Right. Um, so I was very lonely still because I, I was so used to college where I just made friends like this. Mm-hmm. Like I was, you know, I was very well liked and, and, and popular. And then I get to this college, I didn't know anyone. So again, did you I become was, friends with the girls you were living with? Yeah. Um, I did for sure. Um, but we didn't really hang out like outside of, uh, outside of the house. Right. Um, and I really wanted to create my own group of friends organically as mm-hmm. well, not just kind of by force. Um, but that was really hard for me because I was only going to school and I wasn't bonding with anyone. I was a communications major. I wasn't bonding with anyone in, in my, in my class. So I felt very, very alone. Um, still depressed because, you know, I, at that time I still was a homebody. I loved my parents. I missed them deeply. Yeah. I, that's the first time I ever saw my dad cry and mm-hmm. sob was when he had to say bye to his, his little girl. Um, so my bulimia continued, and just to paint the picture for y'all, when I was looking into places to to uh, move into, um, I would always look at the bathroom situation. Would I have my own bathroom? Mm-hmm. Um, is that you know is this is the fan loud enough? Is the shower loud enough right. that I can continue being bulimic? Right. Um, and not to just be so so vivid and paint this picture for you guys, but that's how serious this, this disease is. Yeah. You are such a master manipulator. Um, you, you would be shocked, utterly shocked to, to be in our minds, people who are suffering with this disease. Like I, I refuse to live anywhere that didn't have a proper area for me to do my binging yeah. and, and purging it's, and to it's, hide it's it from addiction. people. It's an absolute addiction. Correct. Um, so, like, the, so just backtrack just yeah. a second, because you said you went with, you came with your parents to visit for mm-hmm. three days. So yeah. even on those three days, were you was, finding 
yep. a place mm-hmm. to do it. Yep, with my parents. And yep. did they did they notice when like you would eat all this food? I mean, I think that they just came to terms with like, man, Jack eats a lot, like a lot, a lot. Um, I never sensed the concern from my mom around that time that she had when I was young because mm-hmm. I had been seven years. Yeah, right. Right. Um, so I think that they just thought, man, I got a, I got a fuck ton of an appetite, you right. know? Um, but I do look back on it and I do wonder if it ever was alarming to them that when we would go out to eat, like to all these nice Charleston restaurants, like there, I mean, it's all fried food. Right. And I would just like be shoving it into my mouth and then I'd be like, urgency, we got to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. Like I got to get this out of my system. Would you ever throw up in like restaurants or anything? I did. Uh, yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it there, but, um, I did a lot of, I'm done walking around right now. I want to go home. Like, I know we're trying to see the city. I want to go home and take a shower and go to bed. It was always, I want to take a shower. Yeah. Right. Um, Cause I'm sweaty. It's humid out. Right. So yeah, I remember one time we did eat a lot and I, my mom, I, it broke my heart. My mom so badly wanted to go <laughs> smoke a hookah because she's never done it before. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. We're going home. And it just like broke her heart. She's like, well, we're here as a family. And yeah. it's so, it makes me want to cry thinking about that. So I'm sorry, mom, you never got to smoke your hookah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I just wanted to go home and get it out of my system. And I did that for the, th- for the three days that I was there in Charleston with my parents. Um, so we go home and I, I get up. That's when I got my acceptance letter and, and I moved. Um, and then over the course of the nine years, I can't say that I was always throwing up every single day. It was consistent, yes. But there had been a couple months where I was just so trapped and isolated and didn't want to be doing this anymore that I would commit to stopping. But the eating disorder always presented itself in other ways, mm-hmm. whether that was like excessive exercise. And at this time, I was very skinny mm-hmm. because even though I wasn't throwing up during the stint of nine years at all times, I was still finding ways to remain skinny, whether that was eating only raw foods and calorie counting, or that was, whether that was wearing my heart rate monitor to make sure I was burning more calories than I was consuming. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to have like an extra thousand calorie deficit. Um, it was, it was a lot. It was, I mean, um, and it just consumes every consumes thought, every single thought, nothing else really matters to you because even when you're with your friends, um, when you're with your friends, you're typically at restaurants or you're out drinking or doing, you know, something that always involved consuming calories. Right. So I can never fully enjoy my life to the fullest. It was an absolute plague in my mind um, that I, it, it's all I ever thought about. It's very, tra- it's very trapping and isolating. And those are the two words that yeah. I could, and exhausting. And now a word from our sponsor. Looking to buy or sell in the Charleston area? We got you. You gotta check out my girl Audra Walters from Front Porch Properties. Audra works with both buyers and sellers, but what sets her apart from other agents is she will stage your listing for free, zero dollars. There is no charge to the sellers. This helps tremendously, especially if you are selling a rental or a second home that has no furniture or hasn't been loved in years. It also helps if you live in the house and have a large brown ugly leather couch. She can fix it. Staging homes to sell for more money and more quickly. So why not sell with Audra? There's more. She offers free 3D virtual tours and drone videos with all her listings. It is key to get your home on social media and Audra rocks that out. You can find Audra on Instagram at Audra underscore Walters underscore CHS or frontporchpropertiessc.com. 
You can also always find her in my classes, turning on the freaking fans, Audra. <laughs> so check her out today. She's an awesome woman and she is super motivated. Exhausting. Physically exhausting. I mean, I can't, when I have to throw up and I'm sure it's different, but like it is a full body experience. For it me. is. I, and I hate it. Like yep. I get, I get scared yeah. like, cause I feel so bad doing it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that would be a lot on your body. Correct. Um, and so when you're doing every single day or, um, not even every day, it doesn't have to be the, the long lasting effects that, um, the vomit has on you. Like your esophagus. Your esophagus, your, um, you can develop a heart arrhythmia, which I did, um, because you're, you're weakening your heart. So your heart is having to pump so much harder, work so much harder, um, in order to just keep you alive. Right. Um, you deal with very low, um, blood sugar mm-hmm. from it. Uh, you get very dizzy, irritable, chronic fatigue. So during you this time, period? Yep. Of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have lost my period to this day, actually. We'll talk about that later. Um, and I don't know if that's because of my past eating disorders, um, or if it's for other health issues, but we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, but yeah, so even though if I wasn't throwing up, I was always finding ways to keep myself like very thin mm-hmm. and admirable, um, or what I thought was admirable at the right. time. Um, but yeah, my bulimia always persisted because even when I would eat foods that I was restricting myself from for so long, those high caloric foods that make you feel good and satisfied, mm-hmm. I had restricted myself for so long that I would binge them and I said, well, got to throw it up. So even if I went three months without throwing up, right. I would always end up doing it. So I technically, yes, have always through that, through those nine and months, And the, and like years. the, the times when I don't think remission's the right word, but the times when you like get sober or mm-hmm. stop were those like was that first day like you're like okay I'm not gonna do it today yeah so hard. and then was like by the second week you're like okay it's a little easier yes. and then that trigger in three correct. months and you're right back to where you started correct that's exactly what happens it is so hard to stop it consumes you I mean Every, yeah I mean I can just the the mental mm-hmm. torment of yeah. this what's going on in your brain the strain it's it's all that matters all that matters. I lost friendships because of it. I felt like I, because I was a liar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to be hard on myself and, and shame myself for doing this because this is just part of the disease. Absolutely. You are a master manipulator. You lie why you can't go places. I uh, can't go out to eat. You lie about why you have to leave early. Um, and so my, my heart goes out to people who are listening to this. And I, I know a few who are that like, I don't blame you for lying. I don't mm-hmm. think you're a bad person. You know, like I, it's just, it's just the, the sickness, it's the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want them to know that they're, they're not alone. Yeah. You're not a bad person. You're just trapped. Right. So there is a way out. Um, so the nine years was absolute hell. And yes, it, it flip flopped between bulimia and then just, um, you know, uh, crazy calorie deficit, which would, most people would consider anorexia. Um, so I was always battling with that. Um, and if we want to fast forward to what triggered me to once and for all really try to help myself and get over this was, um, what age are you now? Oh, that was nine years later. I don't even know what age I was, but I was, um, this was 2015. Okay. 2015. I can't do math right now. Same. It's okay. Don't <laughs> worry. Nobody can. I never was good at math. Um, I, it was 2015 and I was still very uh, unhappy with my, my current job as well in Charleston. I was working for a nonprofit, which I mean, it was 
an amazing job, amazing opportunity, but I just, I truly wasn't happy. Um, very, you know, underpaid, felt like I was working very, very, very hard. Um, which I have no qualms about. I love working hard, yeah, but I just, there was a lot, sure. a lot of things that went into this job that was uh, emotionally, physically taxing as well. Um, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity that I had and it's gotten me to where I am today as well. Um, but I didn't have fitness in my life at that point. The only time I did was to go run five miles so I can burn 500 calories. That was my only form of fitness, mm-hmm. um, was for ulterior, ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at my, my old job and my coworker, um, she begged me to take a spin class. And I said, nope, not happening. Because when I was in New Jersey, I took one spin class and I fucking hated it. Mm-hmm. And I my, left. My first class, I fucking yes. hated it. I left too. Yep. But it was, like, it was at a gym. my vagina and this right. is miserable. My, my badge is killing me. My, <laughs> yeah. my butt bones, my bony ass is killing me. Right. Like this person's yelling at me. I hated it. So me and my best friends um, from New Jersey, she's like my sister. We get up and we're like, peace out. Yeah. And I remember the spin instructor, <laughs> spin instructor says, bye girl. And yeah. just totally calls us out. Yeah. Um, and it was just like mortifying to me. But that was a different kind of spin class that was very, you know, um, RPM based, not mm-hmm. BPM. It wasn't to the beat of the music. It wasn't low lights. It was just, let's push up a hill. And I, I just absolutely hated it. Right. So it took my friend so much to convince me to take this class with her. And then I was like, whatever. If it's a bonding experience for me and you, I'll take it. If I just want to prove to you how much I hate this, right, right. so be it. So I show up with her. And it's Katie Penta's class. Oh, geez. Shout out to my girl, Queen. Yes. Um, happy birthday, by the way, babe. And <laughs> she was my first spin instructor, and I'm on bike 39. Literally, before I showed up to this podcast, I looked at what my bike was. I was in the very corner, bike 39, Katie Penta's class. And I'm taking this class, and the lights are off, and everyone's just on the same beat and they're killing it and they're whipping their towels around. They're having so much fun. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so I'm like, I know. what is this? I think about that so much, just like even in my class today, like there was like two new people and I'm like banging on the walls. I'm yeah. like telling a story about my mom. I'm bawling. Right. People are laughing. Like we're like, and I'm like, I'm sure people are like, what the fuck right. is going on? Exactly. <laughs> you always think that about your new riders yeah. or your new, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. your new yogis. Like what do they think of me right now? Right. <laughs> but then you just get to the point but where then like, they keep, I don't care. And then they, they keep coming it. back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're back. like, that was incredible. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I walked into this first class, the lights are down. I'm just having the time of my life, even though I sucked. And I tell my riders this all the time that are new. You're not going to be good at this the first time around. And I love that because you're going to see what you can do mm-hmm. just by watching these other people who have been like showing up every day and putting in the hard hard work and, and they, they remember being new too. Yeah, absolutely. We were, we were all the first person in the room at one point or another, right? right? So I love watching those riders who have no idea what they're doing because I used to be in the same boat. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I came every single day after that because I was addicted to it. I was obsessed with it. So after that first class, even though I sucked, I walked out and I have never been more sure about anything in my entire life up until that point. I said, I will be a spin instructor. Mm -hmm. That is my calling. That was my true purpose. Um, It was the only thing in my life that really I felt that gravitational pull towards. And so that was my intuition. And I said, I'm going to do this. So I became addicted. I went all the time. I was discovering fitness and a little bit more self-acceptance and just felt um, like I was surrounded by a community that was really important to me, Mm -hmm. right? Um, People with like-minded just mentalities and, you know, showing up not just for that calorie deficit, but just to get their mental health right Mm -hmm. and to bond with, with other people there. So I... 
I loved it. Um, but I'm not going to lie. I still battled with my eating disorders. Um, yes, I, I found fitness, but that was not like the, the end all be all. It was not my cure. Mm -hmm. It just helped me get a better head on my shoulders, a better mental health, um, from finding those classes. But then what happened, um, about a year later is when they reach out to me saying that instructor training is about to start. So I'm like, yes, this is my time. This is my calling. I'm so excited to get started with this. And that was a very rude awakening was when I started training because at the time I was still battling with all of the long lasting effects that having bulimia for nine years had, mm -hmm. had, um, you know, <laughs> uh, brought on and that, was my weak heart. So I didn't have the cardiovascular endurance that I knew I needed to have in order to be a spin instructor mm -hmm. because there is a very big difference between being an instructor and being a rider. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's more, it's mentally, um, more mentally exhausting. When you're you talking, talking, and, yeah. right. It's just like, uh, and not to, you know, if this paints a picture for you guys, it's not, um, I was wearing like a heart rate monitor and I was comparing the difference between being a rider and being an instructor. And I was like burning like 350 calories more being a spin instructor. Mm -hmm. Um, and so at that time I was still monitoring my calories mm -hmm. and I was doing things not just for the mental health, but, but for, um, the, the physical burn as well. Um, the calorie burn. I mean, but I think that that is so, um, so co common and not that you're common, but mm -hmm. I say this, you know, and when, when I do teacher trainings is that a lot of the things that get us in the room in the first place, it's not why we're still in there. Exactly. But it's like, I'm like, you think, you, I think about a lot of instructors, I mean, myself included, I've always had body image things. I, I mm -hmm. didn't, you know, have the extreme nature of it, but you know, it, it's, it's hard to freaking age gracefully in a pair of spandex in front of a mirror. Absolutely. You know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, 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 I hear you. Yeah. I feel you, what mm -hmm. you're saying. Yeah. It wasn't just, I didn't just snap my fingers and say, okay, right. You know, this is going to heal me. Um, but it, it broke my heart. I, I did say, um, and this is where I'm probably going to grab the tissues. I said that this is important enough to me that I'm going to find a way to make it happen. And if I don't, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. So that was um, very scary for me because every time I would throw up, it always resulted in like I had I was going to faint, I was going to pass out. Um, I had the horrible feelings of remorse and shame, um, failure, all these nasty words I could ever throw at myself because that's just truly how I felt, right? Um, and so I I knew that I was going to die on that bike, if I tried to exert myself to the level that I needed to exert myself in order to live my passion on that bike, I, I, my heart could just stop on yep. the bike. Um, and so from really, it was that moment on that I said, you either stop this or you're, you're not going to follow your dreams. Yeah. You can't follow your dreams. If this is the way that you are living your life, you are living a second life and like having any disorders, like living in a a tiny room for the rest of your life with one tiny window. And that's your view to the outside world. Yeah. You know, it's there, you know that you, you can climb out of it, but like it's comfort in that room. It's comfort because that's your control over your life. Um, and that's an analogy that I kind of came up with recently. It's really, I mean, like that's so true. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so true. Yeah. Um, it's a horrible, horrendous way to, to live your life. Um, and a couple of days before I came over to do this podcast, I was um, kind of explaining to my classes and my riders um, who know me and love me and I love them back and they've been my biggest fans and supporters forever. I told them I, I'm about to embark on a journey that is the scariest thing I've ever done on, on Friday. Um, and 
it's going to be very difficult to talk about. Um, but I know that I'm going to be okay because I'm in this room with you guys on this mic and I can say whatever I need to say about my truths and y'all are still showing up. Absolutely. You're showing up. And the thing about, I think, um, Laura McEwen who wrote this amazing book when she got sober, but, um, and Chandler said it the other day, it's funny, but she said, shame, shame dies when it's shared in a safe space. Yes. And I mean, I think that that's across the board, you know, like I was talking about this story this morning about, um, I got divorced when I was really young and Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, embarrassed. All my friends were getting married. They were starting to have babies and I'm like getting a divorce. And Mm -hmm. I was in the grocery store and the India Ari version of, um, oh, what's that song that she sings? I played in class this morning. Heart of the Matter came Mm -hmm. on. And this was before my mom passed away and my mom called me and I'm walking down the aisles of the Piggly Wiggly just sobbing. Mm-hmm. My mom doesn't know this song's on. And she said, Sarah, baby, you have got to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. She was like, you've got to give yourself grace. Yeah. Because you, what you're experiencing right now, it's somebody else at some point is going to experience it and you are going to be that beacon of hope for them. And that's what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think sharing our stories is ultimately the best thing we can do. And it becomes someone else's survival guide. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And that's and that's what I'm hoping that um, comes out of this. I think you're going to be blown away, Jackie. Thank you. Yeah. I really hope so. Truly. Um, but I really, I, I do encourage a lot of people that the more you share your story, like you said, in your safe space, the, the, that's, your, that's your freedom right there. Yeah. That's how you heal. Yep. And so I'm... Um, I truly don't think that I'd be able to do this if I weren't a spin instructor. Right. Because I, I have my platform to speak my truth and people keep on showing up for me. Mm-hmm. It's like they're they're not showing up for my body. They're not right. showing up for my looks. They're showing up for my heart. Right. The way that I make them feel, my talent. Yeah. And that is the most amazing, miraculous realization that I could ever have. And so when I say that spin saved my life, it truly saved my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to think about where I would be if I, if I weren't a spin instructor, to be honest, I'd probably still be going down that road. Right. Um, so it was still, I'm doing instructor training. I eventually become an instructor and I was still battling with a lot of, um, disordered eating, Mm -hmm. even though I wasn't throwing up anymore. I was still, um, I was doing the a hundred percent whole food plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for those who know me, you know, I have been vegan for a long time. Um, but when I started off being vegan, it was in a very extreme form. It was, I would not put anything into my body that wasn't clean for me. wasn't good for me. Um, there was no intuitive eating. There was no, um, eat the damn pizza, eat the cupcake when you want it. Right, right. It was, if there is any kind of bad oil or refined sugar or processed ingredient, nope, wouldn't touch it. And I think what you just said is so um, important too, because just in the industry that I'm in and you're in, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of times people take special diets mm-hmm. and it's disordered eating. Yes. I'm not saying like every vegan or every whole Correct. 30 person or anything like that, but it's like, oh, I only eat this, this, and this, and this. Right. Right. Like if you're, you know, at a party and, and maybe you love it, but like dipping your carrots in salsa. Right. There's something I believe happening. Correct. The line. And I used to be that person. Right. I would only eat foods that I knew were extremely low calorie, mm-hmm. like zero calorie celery. just like you said, like not even hummus because, right. Oh my God, there's God forbid there's oil and there's, um, right. you know, protein in there. <laughs> right. Right. It was just carrots and, and salsa. Like that was, uh, I, I was still aiming for a calorie deficit, but still getting health from eating all the, you know, the, the good things that are, are 
the good things out there for you, but um, it was disordered eating. And, and I think it's clear. I think it's important to say that that's not getting better. No, is that and is that okay to say that? Absolutely. I don't want to. It's not getting be better. offensive. No, I just it's think not offensive. We a lot of times we trade one addiction for the next. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. I was proud of myself for no longer being bulimic because my body was no longer under um, that that stress of actually what it takes to perch, right? Mm-hmm. Like the acidity and the, the heart arrhythmia and all that kind of stuff. But I was still suffering mentally. And I don't think people understand that when you, when you put so much stress onto yourself about what you're consuming, it's like your body's stress response is turning on. Like you're just always in a state of stress and like remorse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're not even properly assimilating the nutrients as you would if you were just, in, you know, intuitive eating and right. being happy with what you're putting into your body. Um, so I was living a life of restriction. Um, Did you drink? Yeah. But um, I only drank tequila waters, right? You know, mm-hmm. something that was like borderline just just water with right. like 100 calories in it, right? Um, so yeah, I was still disordered eating, um, even though I wouldn't consider myself bulimic anymore. Um, and I think truly what helped me heal and maintain a vegan diet, but now I am an intuitive eater and I eat whatever I want when I want it. Um, it's more of like that, that kind of 80, 20 lifestyle, right. which I, I, I do not believe in just like having a cupcake and say, Oh, that's my, that's my 20 for the day. Like, no, I, I think it's fair. It's supposed to be like used, you know, vaguely and, and generically, but, um, 80% of the time I'm a very healthy eater mm-hmm. and I love the food that I eat. Mm-hmm. I love it. Love it. Love yeah, it. Cause it tastes do. good. Yeah. Um, and then 20% of the time, it's whatever the fuck I want to eat. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's liberating. Um, so right now, and for the last um, three years, I have been... That's the one word that I that I use is complete. Um, it's, it's liberation. It's totally free and liberated to be the person that I am and, and eat what I want to eat in moderation. Um, and I think about the time when I was seriously suffering. It was um, complete envy for anyone I would be with or eat with, it was, you have no idea how lucky you are to be able to just eat that food and stop when you're full mm-hmm. and move on with your life. Yeah, I, I didn't, that was a foreign concept to me. I had no idea how that was possible because I've been battling with this for so, so long. Like yeah. I didn't know how to rewire my brain. Yep. And so it was a long, long journey of me rewiring my brain to get where I am today. Um, and again, a lot of it has to do with um, the fitness community. Um, people showing up to my classes, not because of like how thin I was or me mm-hmm. wearing the best clothes or wearing my Lululemons. It was my heart, the way I made people feel. Um, I was no longer surrounding myself with superficiality. It was, I'm going to commit to putting myself in this, in a community of people that love me for me and me only, like mm-hmm. the, the inside of me, mm-hmm. right? Not the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and when I did that, and a lot of that was through, you know, revolution and, and other works and just other, these other fitness classes that I, um, were starting to take, I just grew more of a, of a tribe of people that would have my back and, and just love me and never judge me for a goddamn thing. Right. Um, and I can't say that I surrounded myself with people like that in the past. Right. Um, but I just grew up, I got older and wiser, had, um, more morals and more respect for myself. Um, and I have been very cognizant about my mental health. So if there's something that feels toxic and not right, I don't need any excuses. I can unapologetically purge that from my life. No pun intended, literally purge all that from my life. Um, and so that is how I have healed and I don't want to come off like it is all rainbows and butterflies now because it's not, I am unfortunately a woman in modern day society that, um, we struggle with body Mm -hmm. image, right? Yeah. Um, 
Oh, absolutely. Because of the world that we live in mm-hmm. um, and, the, and the, the beauty standards. But I no longer look at myself in the mirror and ridicule myself. Like, yes, I have my moments. Like, of course, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I've gained 20 pounds. Like, girl, get yourself in check. Or, right. um, you know, we can all look in the mirror and find something that we don't like. But before I do that, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I am so goddamn strong. Like, I love me. No one loves me the way I love me. Right. And I don't fuck around when it comes to my happiness anymore in relationships, in life, like anything. Um, and so... I always unapologetically put myself first and I'm never, ever, ever going to go down that path that I once went down, even though I will have triggers. I'm, I'm, it's just like addiction. Right. People with addiction will tell you that it's never easy again. Right. You're always going to have triggers. Right. It's just up to you to decide, is it worth it? Right. Yep. Um, and something that I've truly struggled with even coming on this podcast is that I don't want to, um, I don't want to hurt anybody because I never told a soul. And I know that, especially my mom, my dad, my best friends who do not understand any of what they're hearing right now, they, I don't want them to blame themselves. Right. I know they will never frown upon this and look at me um, as less of a, a human or a woman, but my fear is that they are going to feel guilty. And that is the last thing I would ever want. Because what they don't understand, and if you don't have a grasp on this disease, you don't understand the lengths that we take to hide it. It is no one's fault. Absolutely no one's fault, and it's not even my fault, right? So that has been my biggest fear coming on this. Um, And there are a lot of people I still haven't told personally, and I just don't think there's a right or wrong time to talk about it. It's just when you're ready. Right. You know, just because I didn't tell somebody that I love doesn't mean I don't love them. doesn't mean that I wasn't comfortable enough to talk to them about it. I wasn't ready. That's right. And when I texted you that night, I was ready. It was an epiphany. I said, this is my time. This is your time. This is my time. And I think that that's that's when you do it. And I think, like, I'm so glad you did. Yeah. Um, Will you share that one story? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. So... Okay. Um, okay. If you do know me well, you've probably heard the story before and I'm not saying any names. I know. And I won't say any names either. Yep. Okay. Um, so I think let's be a little facetious here. The best thing that ever came out of this eating disorder is this wildly funny life-changing story that you're about to hear. It's sad, but funny. <laughs> it is. And now, well, once you told me, yeah. you, you told me the story before you told me about the bulimia. Correct. I was just like, oh my gosh. I, mean, right. I was like crying, yes. laughing. Well, what was funny is that when I first told Sarah the story, we were at a, um, uh, at a dinner with yeah. some of our loved ones um, from the works. And I told this story and I kind of prefaced it with, I had a binge eating disorder, which is not a lie. I did. I just didn't really go right. into the full extent of the, the, real, um, the real issue. But I was babysitting, um, and just to elaborate on how intense this disease is, you it doesn't matter where you are, you're going to find a way to binge and purge. Um, I would do it at restaurants, like Sarah asked me. I would do it at home. I would do it at friend's house. I would do it on vacations. Like I would get major panic attacks going on vacations mm-hmm. because I'm like, how am I going to find a way to sneak away and do this? So... I was babysitting. Oh yeah, and it happened at many babysitters' houses as well. I'm sorry if you're one of those people listening to me, but yes, the you kids go are through, alive. It's yes, fine. yes, their kids are alive. Um, there was one particular um, couple that are so awesome, and I was babysitting. They, are so awesome. they were so so freaking amazing, yeah. um, and I wish them well to this very day. I was babysitting for their for their um, kids at the time, and they were very young. They're like infants, and so I get all excited when I go to you know new babysitting houses because I get to raid their cabinets. 
what kind of great food do they have that I don't have in my own home, that I don't allow myself to have in my own home. So they were super cool. They say, you know, we're going to leave you money for pizza and anything that's in the fridge or cabinets is yours, right? So say no more. Say no more. I am rummaging the cabinets and meeting whatever is coming to sight and with the full intention of, of throwing that up. And their kids at the time, they were so young that they were napping. And so I'm just going, you know, I'm just going balls to the wall, eating whatever's in sight. Um, I will try to fast forward this very long winded story to say that I ended up consuming, um, three ginormous cookies that were delicious. I didn't, I didn't taste anything wrong with them. (laughs) So I'm eating these cookies. I'm eating more pizza, yada, yada. And unfortunately the kids start screaming and crying. So I had to go wake them up. I didn't really have the time to go and purge this from my system. So I wake up these twins and I bring them downstairs and I'm playing with them. About 20 minutes go, goes by and I'm still like, oh my God, how am I, I going to get away? Like, I, I, can't leave the, I can't leave the kids. Yeah. Um, and then it was too late because whatever I had eaten settled into my, into my system. And I'm sitting there on the couch. I'm reading a book to the, to the kids. And all of a sudden, whoosh. I go into a full-blown panic attack. I feel like I am floating up to the ceiling. I am unable to even create a rational thought. <laughs> it was, I'm shaking, I'm like, oh my God, 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 what's happening? Literally, I, all I felt was myself just like floating to the ceiling. And I just feel myself in the sheer panic. And I, I stand up and I'm like walking around in circles being like, oh my God, what's happening? What's happening? Um, I... I didn't know what was happening to me. I thought I was having a heart attack. So I'm freaking out. I am pretty much convulsing. Um, <laughs> Try to pick up my phone to call my mom because she's always the first person to this day. If I'm in a sheer panic, I call my mom. Right. So I'm calling her, calling her, calling her. Oh my God, it's a busy signal, business skin. Like, what the fuck are you answering your phone? I'm dying here. And I look down, I'm dialing my own phone number the entire time. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, what is happening? Like you are batshit crazy. You're off your rocker, Jackie. What is happening to you? So I'm not even thinking rationally. I'm not even thinking at the time. Is it something that I ate? You know, the copious amounts of food I just put into my system. Is mm-hmm. it any of that? Did I have an allergic reaction to something? So I finally get my mom on, on the, the phone and she is just freaking out. She thinks that her daughter is about to have a heart attack. So she's like, you have carbon monoxide poisoning. You need to get the kids and run, bring them outside. So, <laughs> and what I love, you're like, you're in Charleston calling your mom in Jersey to help you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, I take the kids outside and then I'm like in straight paranoia because there's people outside walking past that people are like swimming in their pools next door. And I'm like, they're looking at me. They're looking at me. Oh my God. They're going to think I'm crazy. So, um, after a while sitting outside, I'm still in this panic and I'm realizing that I really don't think it's carbon monoxide poisoning. So I start just picking up the phone. I start dialing the mom and dad over and over and over and over and over again. They probably had about 35 missed calls. They were probably like, what the fuck? Yeah. But then I was just like, I'm going to sound like such a goddamn idiot when they answer their phones because I can't even formulate a sentence. I'm I'm so, something's so wrong with me. Um, so they didn't answer and I think they were at a fashion event. They were doing something that they, they were not, um, able to answer their phones. So can you only imagine when they come back to their phone and they say 35 missed calls from their babysitter, the sheer panic that they would be in? I'd be, I would be like flying home. Yes. Flying home. Right. Um, (laughs) so I have this epiphany and that's, oh my God, I have a boyfriend who's right down the street. I could call. (laughs) Holy shit. Fancy that. So I call him 
and I tell him something's very wrong. Don't ask me any questions. I need you to come here right now. And he was, you know, scared off his mind thinking that I was also dying. Mm -hmm. So he's like, where are you? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, go outside, (laughs) tell me the address, tell him the address. And he gets in an Uber. He comes over and he takes one look at me and he goes, he grabs me by the shoulders and he goes, Jackie, what did you eat? (laughs) He's like, you are foaming out of the mouth. You are bloodshot, like your eyes are bloodshot red. And in that moment, I go, the cookies. (laughs) They were weed cookies. And you don't smoke weed. No, 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 no. Is that the first time you've been high? Uh, Nope. Yeah. I used to smoke um, when I was really alone for two years in New Jersey. Yeah. When all my friends were out. And probably doing the same thing. Three weed cookies? I would be in the hospital. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I would have been like, someone check me in. Yes. Three weed cookies. So let's just put it this way. These cookies were so potent that you're supposed to eat a quarter or less. I had three whole ones. <laughs> so I one, I haven't smoked weed in like, I don't know, like over six years. And I had three weed cookies that were like imported from Denver, like the capital of fucking right. marijuana. So <laughs> um, I ate three weed cookies. And from that moment that he told me that I think that you were tripping balls right now, hence yeah. why you're foaming out of the mouth and had bloodshot eyes, I felt a little bit better because I was like, I can contribute. I'm not going to die. I, I can attribute this. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not going to die. This is completely attributed to me eating weed cookies. So um, <laughs> then my my ex at the time, and this is a man that I've been dating for for six years, first love. And he can't just totally takes control. He's like, I got this. He takes the phone and, um, he finally gets a phone call back from the dad. And I just hear him on the phone with, with him. And he's just like, Hey man, um, I really, I don't want to point any fingers, but I think that maybe you had some food in the house that may have had weed in it because Jackie is very high right now. (laughs) And you can just hear him on the, the other end saying, fuck. Yeah. He's like, I'm coming home right now. And I'm just mortified. I'm just, I can't look at anybody. Like if I have just like one hit of weed nowadays, like I'm paranoid. I can't talk. Everything I say, I think is the stupidest thing that's ever come out of my mouth. People are judging me. Um, They know I'm high, all this kind of stuff. So like three week cookies later, I'm like, I'm just silent. I'm like, I can't talk to anybody. He comes home, he's mortified. um, And I just, of course at the time I couldn't be like, sorry, I'm battling with severe bulimia. (laughs) I planned to throw these up. Right. But it right. didn't happen soon enough. I'm sorry that I rummaged all of your nooks and crannies of your house and ate all of your high calorie foods. Yeah. Sorry. Right. So he listens to this podcast, so he'll hear it. He will. Yeah, yeah. he absolutely will. <laughs> and I hope you guys are doing well and that we can all laugh about this. And I've been laughing about it since the day it happened, to be honest. Um, but I couldn't ever face him again. Right. I was so mortified. Yeah. And I, I only knew on the back burner, like, why, why this truly did happen. Because yep. everyone I tell the story to is like, why would you eat three freaking cookies yeah three yeah like (laughs) yeah and they're big too so that was that um and a big (laughs) lesson learned um but it was such a traumatic experience that the next time I babysat it was for a different family I had to call I I shit you not I'm not joking I had such PTSD from that experience thinking that I was dying and that I was just going to leave these two young infants to fend for themselves and have no one to watch after them I was so I'm so traumatized from that experience that from that moment forward, I had to call my babysitter and ask them if they had any weed in the yeah. house because I was getting symptoms. Yeah. I would just sit there in the chair putting the kids, like the kids were already to bed and I would just have this, like the same whoosh, like panic attack come yeah. over me that I was high again. So I, the next time I babysat, I had to pick up the phone and call the dad and say, I went through something recently. 
I overdosed on weed because I ate weed cookies. I didn't know had weed in it. Like, is there any weed in your house? Just so I could have peace of mind. And they'd be like, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They'd be like, no, but I appreciate you asking (laughs) before you would potentially give that to the kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that was the funniest story that's ever come out of my my um, illness. Yes. That, 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 that's a small silver lining. <laughs> small, small silver lining. Um, um, so for people that are listening, and I'm sure yeah. somebody's going to listen and send it to a friend that needs to hear sure. it, you know, and you and I said this at the beginning, you mm-hmm. did it the way that worked for you. Correct. And are there, can you talk about other ways that people can, you know, what resources there are? Yeah. I want um, to be clear, like you said, I, I do not recommend, and I'm not trying to encourage anyone to do it the way, the way that I did, because the reason I did it the way that I did is because I had such serious issues and and self-esteem issues that I thought that if I told anyone, they would, they would judge me. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be that perfect person in their eyes anymore. Um, I was, I was terrified. I didn't want to tell a soul. It was my secret, my burden to bear that chewed away at me until I thought I was going to die. I not, I don't want anyone else to go down that same, that same path. It is a very, very lonely, traumatizing experience. So my first piece of advice is to tell somebody that you love. Anyone that you know will not judge you because here I am. I just started off telling the story about how I sat down at that bar with my, with my best friend. And like, I, I didn't hold back. I told every intimate detail about my, about my struggle with bulimia and I wasn't ashamed. I was like, it she feels probably, so she good. She hugged you and loves yeah. you. And it's, yeah. She thinks the world of me even more than she already did. Same. Um, she accepted me more, um, yeah. more than she thought that she could. Um, she loved me harder than she thought that she could. Um, and so anyone who's listening to this, you're going to get the same receptivity. Like mm-hmm. you, you really are. You, if someone loves you for all the right reasons, that's the person you need to tell because the more you speak about it and it becomes your, your truths, the more you're saying, I'm willing to heal. Um, and I didn't do that for myself. And that's one of the biggest regrets in my life for real. Um, so tell somebody it doesn't even have to be your mom. Like, seriously, I can't expect you to have that kind of relationship with your mom. Maybe if it's your best friend, if it's your boyfriend, whoever it is, tell somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did tell a lot of people that I had struggled vaguely with things. I just never told the story the way that I am now because it's so hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's so chilling to say these stories out loud and Mm -hmm. the things that I've done, things that I've hidden from the people that I love most and the ones that have been the biggest supporters in my life. Tell somebody, Mm -hmm. um, they are not going to admit you into recovery unless you are ready to do that. Um, they will encourage you to, maybe they'll sit you down and have an intervention for sure. Um, but ultimately just, they need to, they need to understand your loved ones need to know that it, this is, you can't force yourself to do it until you're truly ready to heal. And what is your suggestion or thought on, say if a mother's listening to this and Mm -hmm. she has a daughter who's in the thick of it right now, but is like the 11 year old Jackie, who's just resentful. Yeah. What is the best? And is there anything you can do? What can you do? I think you just need to shower them with love. I, my, but my mom did that. I, I, I don't know the best advice to give to mothers, to be honest. I think that I would love to talk to my mom about that. Yeah. Um, but my mom, her response is going to be, I didn't know you were going through this. Right. And so that's going to kill her. It's going to put a stake through her heart. Right. It really is that she didn't know that her daughter was dealing with this and that is not her fault and it's no one's fault. Um, I just think that... Mothers need to understand that there is a, a deeper 
root to the issue, mm-hmm. whether that's self-esteem or maybe something's happening at school. Um, I don't know. I think that encouraging them to, to speak with them more or mm-hmm. maybe go to a therapist is she, my mom did all the right things. She yeah. did. Yeah. She did the right things. Right. Um, and just don't make them feel like anything's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. That is the worst thing you could ever do for someone that is struggling with a, with a, an illness like this or a disease. You cannot make someone feel like something is wrong with them because there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. There's not. It's just this, this is a result um, of, unfortunately, the society that we live in, the mm-hmm. culture that mm-hmm. we live in, um, the beauty standards. Mm-hmm. Um and I think we need to start changing the conversation that we have with women. Like that's when I started healing was when I started surrounding myself with really strong, independent, healthy women mm-hmm. that were loved for them, not their skinny bodies and their hip bones popping out, but for their, their boobs, their ass, Amen. the extra skin. Yeah. You know, there's just more of me to love. Exactly. <laughs> so much more of me to love. Like Absolutely. I, like I truly, truly love myself Yeah, more than I ever thought I could. Um, so my biggest piece of advice is just shower with love mm-hmm. and support. Don't be forceful. Don't talk down on anybody. Um, and that goes for everyone in life. Like when you're having a conversation with someone, like you have the power to make their day or break their day. Like you never know what that person is going through, the battle that they are going through. Like be kind always. Yeah. Um, I really did feel like for my entire life I would be judged so wholeheartedly if I were to speak my truths about this. And now I know that that's just not true. It's just I needed to be around the right people. Totally. So if anyone is struggling with this, be find your tribe. Find the people that will love you for for who you are um, yeah. and through your wins and your losses and your, your lows and your highs. I found that and I can truly say that that's why I, I am here today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're the best. I made it through without crying. Yay! I cried, guys. Don't oh. worry. Lindsay probably cried too, so don't <laughs> worry. Um, thank you guys listening to this. Um, we'll, we'll post some resources as well with yeah. the, um, the episode. And as always, just, you know, share your stories. It's mm-hmm. so powerful. I think we can all relate to that. You know, you can take the word bulimia and replace it with something else, Correct. right? Love, sex, money, power, alcohol, drugs. Mm-hmm. And we've all been there yeah. on some level. I mean, I think, well, I mean, I know I have. Yeah. Um, and I think as we take all of our, you know, these things out of the closet and we put them in the room, it just becomes more of a regular conversation. Yes. And when you take like the shame away from it, it's just, the this, is disappears. this is what's going on with me mm-hmm. and I need help. Yeah. And I want you to support me. Mm-hmm. Um, so as always, thank you. Um, you guys, please share this episode with your friends, your family, rate us, review us, uh, share this around and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. 